Good evening, everybody. We're going to pick up with Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we're going to pick up in chapter 13. Getting ready to go live, and we are now live. We welcome all you that join us around the globe, and uh, wherever you get this podcast this week, we welcome you, and we thank you for your participation and for standing with God's Word and His truth, and we just ask you to uh, continue to pray and be faithful where you're planted, wherever the Lord has planted you. We challenge you to be faithful. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of different things tonight, but primarily our focus will be on uh, the guy we call the Antichrist, so... Let's uh, pray, and then we'll get in the Word. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy. Everything we have, we did not earn, and we do not deserve. It's all because of you, Jesus, that we have anything, and certainly eternal life. And may we be renewed to the fact, Lord, that through you we can do all things. Without you, we can't do anything. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've been kind to us to reveal yourself to us through your Word and by the Holy Spirit, and we just pray that you'll strengthen us in these last days. We know we're living in the last days, Lord, all the signs and all the things you said were going to come to pass, and we just pray that you'll make us strong, that we'll have endurance like those people we read about in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Lord. We just ask for your grace and mercy to lead and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to John chapter 5, St. John chapter 5. I want to read something to you Jesus said, and then we'll try work our way toward uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 13. <clears throat> now, we've been studying Mark in one of our studies, and, you know, Jesus, when he would heal somebody or when he cast out demons, actually, the demons were afraid of him. You know, they'd say, hey, you know, leave us alone, or have you come before our time or whatever. Uh, and he would tell them not to tell anybody uh, after he healed them or cast out demons. And here's a little clue to that, I believe. In John chapter 5, verse 41, it says, I do not receive honor from men. Now, what if we would live our lives like Jesus? He wasn't looking for any glory or credit from men. He was looking for confirmation from his Father. And he got that twice, right? He got it on his baptism day and on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. So Jesus lived his life to get confirmation and affirmation from his Father. He wasn't looking for that from men. But he said, I don't receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. So he's being real frank with this crowd here that uh, you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name. Now listen to what he's saying. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And there's two main words used for another in the Greek. and One is alos, and the other one's heteros. And he, here he used the word heteros. It means another of a different kind. And that's what they're going to do. I, I remember several years ago, uh, listen to one of the Jewish rabbis, and here was what he said. He said, we're so desperate for peace here in Israel that we would make a deal with the devil. And that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. They're getting set up to do that. So the Antichrist, Satan, the false prophet, all these guys are going to be players in the end of time. They're all players now, spiritually speaking. The devil's doing his stuff as much as he can. 
But we read last week how he said, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil's basically been kicked out of the heavenlies and kicked down to the earth, and he knows that he has but a short time. So there's a moment during the middle of that seven years of tribulation where the devil is going to get... He's already kicked out of the heaven where God dwells, but he has access, obviously, to talk to God because we read about that in the book of Job, how he came up with the other what the Bible calls the sons of God, and he's there making his case or whatever, and then that's when he gets access to Job. So the devil is traversing in the heavenlies. Remember when Daniel was praying for 21 days, and, and the, finally the angel showed up with Gabriel and said, I, I would have got here earlier, but uh, we've been doing battle, been fighting the prince of Persia. So there's spiritual warfare battles taking place where Satan... And the angels and all are traversing, but he's not allowed to dwell. He got kicked out of the place or the realm where God is at. Remember, Jesus said, I watched him fall like lightning. But there's a time coming where he's going to be moved on out of the heavenly realm. He's going to come down to the earth. And that's going to be trouble for those who are here on the earth. So he, Jesus is actually prophesying here. He said, you are going to reject me, but you're going to embrace the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is a name that we see basically used once in, in John's epistle. He talks about the spirit of Antichrist and Antichrist, but he's not really called that much elsewhere, but it's a good term. It kind of speaks to what, uh, what this guy's like. So let's go to um, uh, Revelation chapter 13. Let's see a little bit of, get a little more insight into <clears throat> these guys, the beast here. Um, a lot, of good, a lot of interesting stuff comes out here in chapter 13. Now, let me give you a little comparison between the Antichrist and, and Jesus. Now, if you read, uh, I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. I have dealings with Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews are practicing Jews who, who don't believe the Messiah's coming. They believe in a Messiah. They just don't believe he's come yet. And a lot of that has to do with the theology laid out by Paul in Romans 11 where they were blinded for our sake. They were blinded for their own sins and unbelief. And, and, and it worked out in our favor as Gentiles. <clears throat> and over time, I've had a lot of dealings because we are supporters of Israel. The Bible says if you bless Abraham, be blessed. If you curse him, you'll be cursed. And we're blessed in part as a body of believers and as Christians because we support Israel. I'll go down swinging on that. Can I get an amen? amen. So we are, we, we want to, our, our Savior is a, a Jew. His earthly lineage is Jewish. He was born into the Jewish race through Mary, through the line of Nathan. If you remember, Solomon's line got cut off. But God didn't stop because Mary's line actually came through Nathan the other son of David. So God can't, the devil cannot stop God's promises. Can you say amen? So if you go in the Old Testament, you'll see pictures of Christ. The most complete picture of Jesus in the Old Testament is Joseph. Joseph uh, was rejected by his brothers. He had a special coat. Jesus had a special coat. In fact, the, uh, the guards were refused to destroy it because it was without seam and Joseph had a coat of many colors. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. Joseph was loved by his father. Certainly, Jesus was loved by his father. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. 
Joseph was betrayed. Joseph was between the baker and the butler. One lived, the other one died. Jesus was between two guys on the cross. One went to heaven, the other one didn't. We could go on and on and on with the comparison. Joseph took a Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. He married a Gentile. Jesus is going to take a Gentile bride before the seven years of tribulation. Joseph's going to reveal himself. Joseph revealed himself during the seven years of famine to his brothers. They realized who he was. Same thing's going to happen with the Jews when Jesus reveals himself. So that's a beautiful picture. That's the most complete picture of Christ in the Old Testament. There are other facets. David shows us a facet. It's like a diamond in the Old Testament. David shows us a picture of Jesus. Moses shows us a picture of Jesus. We could go on and on and on. But all those are pictures. So they're the same. There's a contrast between the Antichrist and the Christ. And I'm going to give you some of those. And in fact, I'll run this, uh, my notes off and let you all have them on Sunday if you like to see this comparison. But number one, Christ came from above, comes from above. Uh, the Antichrist, and now I've got scripture reference here, John 6. And the Antichrist comes from the pit. Revelation chapter 11. Christ came in his Father's name in John, and a Christ will come in his own name. We just read that passage. Christ humbled himself in Philippians, and an Christ exalts himself according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians. So you see why he's called Antichrist. He's taken just the opposite position of Jesus in the Scripture. Christ was despised, the Antichrist will be admired. Christ is exalted, the Antichrist will be cast down to hell. Christ was here to do his Father's will. The Antichrist is here to do his own will. Christ came to save. The Antichrist came to destroy. Christ is a good shepherd. The Antichrist is an evil shepherd, according to Zechariah. Christ is the vine. According to John 15, Antichrist is the vine of the earth, not the divine vine, according to Revelation. Christ is the truth. The Antichrist is the lie, according to 2 Thessalonians. Christ is the Holy One, according to Mark chapter 1. Antichrist is the lawless one, according to 2 Thessalonians. Christ is a man of sorrows. The Antichrist is a man of sin. Christ is the Son of God. The Antichrist is the Son of perdition. Christ is the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh. The Antichrist is the mystery of iniquity, according to 2 Thessalonians. And he will be Satan manifested in the flesh. Haman was a type of Satan in the Old Testament or slash the Antichrist. And so uh, they have a satanic trinity coming in Revelation. The dragon, the first beast, and the second beast and the slash the false prophet. So we got two interesting characters in the Bible. <clears throat> we have Moses, whom Jude says that the devil fought. Michael, the archangel, over Moses' dead body. That's an interesting statement in it. He, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how the, the devil came and fought Michael <coughs> over Moses' dead carcass. Now, Moses is the guy in the Bible that didn't have a funeral. They didn't have visitation. God took him up to the mountain, and that's the last they saw of him. So God and him, had, had they had their own private funeral there for Moses, and God... So there's, that begs the question, right? Why would the devil want an old dead body? All right? There's another interesting character in the Bible. His name's Judas. And the Bible says Judas was the one, of course, who betrayed Jesus. And it's the only guy in the Bible, the Bible says, he went to his own place. 
both of those guys, at least the spirit of them and their ministries, if you want to call Judas with the ministry of betrayal, both of those guys and that type of thing is going to be portrayed in the end of time. One as a witness, one of the two witnesses. If you read what Moses did while he was here on earth, one of, uh, that's exactly what the witness, the two witnesses we did, that do that we read about a couple of weeks ago in Revelation chapter 11. And then Judas is a type of the Antichrist. He is, he is, went to his own place and he is Antichrist. So there's a lot, of, a lot of things for us to glean and learn in there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Now, I have, everybody says what the preacher thinks. <clears throat> I believe Moses and Elijah, not Enoch and Elijah, but Moses and Elijah are going to be the two witnesses. And the reason I believe that is uh, because when you read what those two witnesses do, they do it, those guys are doing exactly what Moses and Elijah did while they were here on earth. Now, assuming things can get us in trouble, we just say, oh, Enoch didn't die, Elijah didn't die, so those got to be the guys that got to come back. Well, if you're alive when the rapture happens, you're not dying either. The Bible says the point of man wants to die. It doesn't say we all have to die. We're not all going to die. So if God wants to take Elijah up there and, or Enoch up there, and keep him till it's all over. That's his business, right? The Bible says Enoch walked and talked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He had his own personal rapture. If you read the Hebrew there where Enoch was translated, it was different than what happened to Elijah. Elijah was caught up with chariots and gone on. Enoch, the Bible suggests in the Hebrew that his molecules were changed. He was the seventh from Adam, a picture of the church, a picture of the rapture. You want to make it with God? Very simple, walk and talk with him. That's what Enoch did. Had such favor with God, lived 365 years, and then gone. How about that? How about your own personal rapture? So, and then uh, as we come into the Revelation 13, we're going to start unfolding the devil a little bit more. So let's look at chapter 13. It introduces two, two beasts to us. It introduces these two beasts, the Antichrist, what we call the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Both of these are getting their power from the dragon that we read about in the last chapter who is identified as Satan. And so the first beast, and if you'll notice, the dragons aren't that far-fetched because uh, Job talks about something quite like a dragon and a dinosaur. So here's what Christians did years ago. They got so far out of the loop. Uh, you don't have to go along with all the world's theories. It's, there's evidence there were dinosaurs here. Ken Ham does a really good job with that up north and, and how he explains that, how all that uh, is here during the time of, of man. So the earth has no date past Adam. You know, I've heard me say this before. Let me show you something here on my little board. This is the best way this mountain boy can describe this, Right? God sits on top of the circle. And if you look on the back of your dollar bill, you'll see an all-seeing eye. Well, that's who God is. He's all-seeing eye. That means God can see all the way around the circle, right? Therefore, he can tell us the end from the beginning, right? That makes him God. The Bible says Jesus, here in this same book, was slain before the foundation of the world. So because of that, we, we know that God sees everything, knows everything before it happens. So somewhere in eternity, we're going to call this eternity. How do you date eternity? You sure don't date it with lava from volcanoes or rings in a tree. 
So God, somewhere in eternity, where there's no revolutions, right? There's no clock. God don't go by a watch. That's why you can't get frustrated. He don't use a watch. I've bought him one for Christmas several times. He sends it right back. God does not use a watch. So God, in his infinite, all-knowing, all-everything, somewhere in eternity, God created time for us. And here at ground zero, if you want to call it there, he created Adam. We call him Adam. He created Adam or Adam. And then he set revolutions with the sun and the moon, right? And the, and the, the day starts in the evening, not in the morning. We me- Sorry, God, we mess it all up. <laughs> the Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day, right? So he started in the evening. And so out here, there's going to be time no more. So we're going to go back into this realm of eternity. So what went on back here, we don't have the knowledge of that. But you're, you cannot date it because there were no revolutions like there were right here. So when people try to tell you how, how old God is or how old eternity is, God's always been. What we know for sure that time has been since Adam, all right? Back behind Adam, you go into eternity, there's no way to date things where there's not revolutions that we understand we are finite it's going to blow our minds how smart God is when we really get to see who he is somebody pulled up to my house several years ago with a new phone and they they was wanting me to see all the stuff it did and I just said come here and we went to the back of my house and I had two cherry trees back there and I said that phone don't impress me those cherry trees do they keep bringing fruit in every year, and I love it. But we, we think we're smart. That's, I think that's one of the things that probably is the most offensive to God is how arrogant the world's become, thinking we're so smart. And it's getting worse from the guy who's over the economic form saying that when they get done, they'll be able to create a human better than God, somebody he don't even believe in. So we're getting so arrogant and that's what happens if you read psalm chapter 2 the kings of the earth think that they're going to overthrow god and that's part of what we're going to get into here and the bible says that he who sits in the heavens will laugh now we don't see much about god laughing in the bible there in proverbs chapter 1 that's it but he's so amused by the kings of the earth thinking they're going to overthrow him The Bible says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh about it. So in chapter 13, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and John's seeing all this, so God's bringing it to him in a way that he can understand. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads was blasphemous name. Now we're going to deal with that later in our study, not tonight. Now, the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. Now, these two beasts, one of them is going to have a greater emphasis in political realm, and the other one's going to have a greater uh, emphasis in the religious realm. And if you'll notice something about most Americans, most Americans are born experts in politics and religion. Have you noticed that? About every one of us are. We're born experts 
It, one of the things that bothers me to no end, being doing this for 30-some years since I left the coal mines, was is to lead somebody to Christ and then their family that ain't been to church in 30 years come out and try to tell them how to live for God. Now, that you, wanna, you want me to get upset, that's when I get upset. But this is the realms that we are the most aggressive in in our nature. We, man, you, you fire up the politics, you can have turkey legs flying down the table at each other. Right? Talk about politics at Thanksgiving. You might get a turkey leg stuck right here. Religion. And we're all experts on it, right? Even though Peter said the Scripture is of no private interpretation. You don't get to say, well, that's what you think. But that's what we do all the time. So we're born that. But these two beasts are going to have some emphasis in that, and that's pretty smart by Satan, right? You want to get somebody worked up, not just negatively, not just offended, but for a cause. If you want to get them worked up for a cause, bring out politics or bring out religion. There are people, I heard somebody say, uh, there'll be peace in the Middle East, when the Muslim mothers love their children more than they hate the Jews. Think about it. They'll send their own daughter and son in there with bombs strapped on them because that's the way to paradise. So when the Muslims love their children more than they hate Jews, there'll be peace over there. But so far, that's not happening. It's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. So we, we live in a very perilous times, is what Paul calls it, dangerous times. We live in dangerous times, perilous times. We live in a world, if you... Now, my generation started this, and this is what you're going to see in this chapter. And I'm trying to get there, I really am. You're going to see people committed to worshiping the devil. In the 60s and back, we couldn't fathom that until Anton LaVey come on the scene and he created a satanic Bible and everybody thought it was a spoof and then people started following and then we got all kinds of evil perpetrated through the satanic church and the satanic realm. There are people already in this world who worship Satan. Something we couldn't have fathomed in the 50s in this country. But when the 70s came, and then a lot of rock groups started glorifying Satanism and things about the devil. Some rock groups would have altar calls to Satan. And one thing led to another one after another, and now we have groups of people in our world who worship Satan. It's going to get worse. So he says, I stood on the sand, a beast rising up, had blasphemous names, a beast which I saw was like this leopard, like this, um, uh, like the feet of a bear, the mouth, the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So Satan's behind this beast, giving him power. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and it was a deadly, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. 
So there's going to be some type. He's the Antichrist. The devil wants to be worshipped like God. That's what we found out in Isaiah, the five I wills, right? So now he's going to mimic a resurrection. It's going to get him all kinds of attention. He's going to, he should be dead, but he's, he's not going to die. The dragon is behind him. He gets like a mortal wound. The deadly wound was healed, so he should not have lived. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. They worshipped him. They worshipped the dragon, gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying. So this is like God and the Son. So the devil, he mimics everything God does. Uh... And so this word is an interesting word here. I looked this word up, beast. Why would Christ use this word therion is the Greek word. And here's why I use this word. It's never used in the Old Testament as reference to a sacrificed animal. Never. But here Jesus decides to use a word that means wild beast or a venomous beast. That's how he looks at Satan. He's venomous. He's full of poison. The Bible says Satan is the father of all lies. Now, I just want you to let that sink down in on you for a minute. A father fathers children. Right? That's biology, right? A father fathers children. That means some woman has been inseminated. The wife, of course, nowadays it's everywhere, but has been fathered, right? Now, don't you think about that for a minute. If you tell lies or get into lies, guess what's happening in your life? Satan is fathering that in you. That should make you sick. He's the father of all lies. He's venomous. This word <clears throat> was used of that viper that bit Paul. Remember that in the scripture? He's a wild, venomous, vehement individual. The devil hates us. He hates us. And he tries everything he can do to destroy God's creation. And especially people who follow God. He hates us. So this, they worship the dragon. They worship the beast. Kind of like what we do. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we got the, this next beast coming. And they said, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This is on the hills of him supposedly having a deadly wound and living through it. This is going to garnish all kinds of fame for him. This is going to set the world up to go into further deception. Now Paul said they were given a strong delusion to believe a lie. That sounds like, well, that's harsh. Why would God send a strong delusion 
to cause people to believe a lie. He gives us the reason. Right under that, you know why he says it? He says, because they did not love truth. You better love truth even if it smacks you right in the face. You better not fall in love with something else. You better not fall in love with politics. You better not fall in love with religion. You better not fall in love with money. You better not fall in love with anything but the truth. And you better keep, that's right, raise your Bible up. You better keep the truth in front of you even when that truth confronts you and I. If truth is really work, there's not a perfect person in this building or listen to me anywhere in this world tonight. So truth should work if you're one of those people who always think you're right, truth ain't working in you. It's not working in you. Because truth confronts all of us and calls us to deal with issues. Nobody's perfect except for Jesus Christ. So you and I are going to need truth along our journey to say, hey, now wait a minute here. This is what the Word says, and this is what you're stepping into. That's, this, that's, we have an adversary. The devil is constantly trying to trip us up, and he does it in all kinds of different ways. He don't trip us all up in the same way. And so we need truth in us constantly so that truth will confront us. The Bible says that the Word encourages, reproves, and rebukes us. So if we stay in the Word, we're going to be encouraged, but we're also going to be reproved and rebuked at times. He was given a mouth speaking great things, blasphemous. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is that second half of the tribulation we kicked over into. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, on those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So now at the middle of the tribulation period, you've got the Antichrist, Satan down here, the unholy trinity, if you want to call it that. They are wreaking havoc, and they're taking over. It's their system. The, the, the system that's been in place, the, Paul said, is, uh, the Satan is the god of this world system. So how many of you have been in situations where you've not been treated fair? Two of us. The rest of you, man, y'all have had a good life, ain't you? <laughs> I, thought another, I, saw, I thought I saw another hand. <laughs> that's three of us. You live in a hostile world where you're going to face some stuff that's not going to be fair. We are witnesses. And, and I, I want to I challenge all of us, myself included, and anybody that's watching. Right now is the time for us to stand up and be counted. When we get to the other side, everybody, everybody up there is going to be doing the same thing. Right now is when we need to praise Him. Right now is when we need to stand our ground. Right now is when we need to stand up for God. Right now is when we need to stand up for the truth. When we get over to the other side, everybody's going to be doing it. Right now is where we get proven. Right now is when we make a difference. You don't have to look at your neighbor across the street in heaven and say, Hey, have you been born again? Well, they wouldn't even be there if they weren't born again. Right now is the time that we need to quit feeling sorry for ourselves, read those guys in Hebrews chapter 11, pull our bootstraps up and hang in there and say we're not quitting no matter what comes our way. Can you say amen? 
And if you want an excuse to quit, Satan will give you one, right? Have you found that out? If you're looking for an excuse for whatever, Satan will make sure you got one. He'll hand you one off. And, and, and I just, the Bible says, when you he, read Hebrews chapter 11, some of those people were killed, destroyed, slaughtered, and they just refused. They refused to quit. Now it says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tongue, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Now, what we said when we talked about those four horsemen, we saw the Antichrist without a bow, right? Excuse me, without an arrow. Had a bow, no arrows. So the Antichrist is going to come in the first part of the tribulation period making friends, deceiving people. But when the second part of the tribulation starts coming on, God's already starting to pour out his wrath. The devil gets kicked out of the other heavenlies, and now it's, it's on. You, you imagine being stuck here on earth with God pouring out his wrath and the devil wreaking havoc down here. Now the devil's turning on everybody. Everybody who... And you know what? That's a beautiful... That's an ugly picture, I should say, of the world and what the world's going to face. But that's how he does us individually. He comes in talking sweet, right? And then the next thing you know, he's trying to destroy our lives. And so he's just doing that on this grand scale of things here in, in the world. He says, all, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So in other words, people who don't turn to Christ, they're going to follow the Antichrist. And they're going to take his mark instead of being marked with the blood of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. He says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. It's going to be tough. Now, we read about here later in the book how, or maybe we already read it, where there's going to be a number coming out of the great tribulation that is redeemed or saved or born again, whatever you want to call it, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So there's going to be people who are turning over their lives to Christ during this time, but it's going to be such a hard time. It's just going to be hard to get anything done. I mean, people are going to lose their lives just for becoming Christians. Everything will be at stake. That's why he said today is the day of salvation, not next week, not next year, but today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You don't want to get stuck here and miss the rapture and get stuck here and have to now, like I said a lot of folks are going to turn to Christ but it's going to cost them their lives it's going to cost them their lives they're, they won't be able to buy or sell or anything like that <clears throat> so these are the ones who are going to worship the devil basically are the ones who are not found in the book of life of the lamb slain so people who are not turning their lives over to Christ <clears throat> If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So he's trying to talk to us. He's telling us things are going to get bad. So that even emphasizes more how we need to be witnesses right now. Today is the day of salvation. It's going to get worse. Now, we've all lived, most of us have lived long enough in here to realize it's gotten worse just in our lifetime. Uh, I grew up in the 70s. A lot of my life I grew up in the 70s. I'm still growing up, I guess, but that was when I was younger. Um, and they used to tell us that 70-some percent of Americans were Christians. 
couple of years ago, the latest Barna poll said 13% of Americans are Christians, committed Christians, how they put it. People actually back up their faith and don't just say they know who Jesus is, but actually live it. That's a big fall, just in 50 years. So all the earth have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going to be worshiping the devil. If any man has an ear, let him hear. And he says, this is how it's going to happen. You're going to basically reap what you sow, Galatians 6 and 7. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Here's that second beast. Same, you, same word as I showed you before. It's a wild beast, a venomous beast. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. So you see how this trinity's working out, right? You've got the dragon who is the final authority. You've got God, basically, the anti-God. Then you've got the first beast, which is the false, uh, the false, excuse me, the false prophet is the second one. You've got the Antichrist, what we call the Antichrist. So now you've got this second beast pointing everybody to the first beast. That's what the Holy Spirit does, right? The Bible said the Holy Spirit doesn't come to speak of himself. He don't want any credit. He's trying to get us to glorify the Son, right? And what was the Son doing while he was here? He was trying to get us to glorify the Father. You know, that's how we all should live. I mean, if the Trinity lives that way, we should live that way. We shouldn't try to be taking credit for things and stealing God's glory. And so the Antichrist, the devil, the dragon, these two beasts are trying to basically do the same thing. And if you look at it, they've got a pretty good deal going. They've basically captivated the earth with this guy being healed of a, of a deadly wound. They've captivated the earth. The earth is starting to look to them because the Antichrist probably in the first half of the tribulation has had so many good solutions for the world. You think about what the world would do. Most of the world, even now, before the rapture, most of the world would love a, somebody who could come in and bring peace to Ukraine, the Middle East, settle all the financial markets down and everything, and get Israel and the Muslims to get along. He'd be the hero. Because everybody's tried to get Israel and the Arabs to get along, the Muslims. It's not worked. And they've tried to barter peace, you know that. Bill Clinton was probably the closest one to doing that when he was in office. And the reason he couldn't get the deal done was because the Israel, Israel refused to give up the Temple Mount. They still control who goes up and down there. They've allowed the Arabs to keep their Dome of the Rock up there, but they still control that Temple Mount. And they were trying to get them to give up control of that Temple Mount. And that's why the deal stopped. And we've watched presidents and people around the world try to cut deals over there. But that deal's not coming until this thing's over. That's where the world's going to meet its final destination. Jerusalem is the center of the earth. And if you put all the land back together like it was originally in Genesis and all the water surfaced everything else before the, wor the world was divided, <clears throat> you can see how South America slides right in there to Africa because all the earth was created in one place at one time. And so now... If you put all the earth back together, most theologians believe Jerusalem would be right in the center of the land. Makes sense. That's the only city in the world that God put his name on. He didn't put his name on Lexington. He didn't put his name on Los Angeles. He didn't put his name on New York or Moscow or Phoenix or Detroit. He put his name on Jerusalem. That's the only place in the world that God, it's called the city of our God. 
So it's all going to meet its end. That's why when you read these prophets that talk about the end of time in the Old Testament, they, they mostly speak of Jerusalem. <clears throat> the, Israel's a part of that, obviously. But that's why we got this um, hourglass here because the countdown, I believe, started in 1967. Jesus said in Luke 21, when you, know, when you see the, uh, Jerusalem no longer controlled by the Gentiles, Basically, it goes back under the hands of the Jews. Know that this generation is not going to pass till everything's finished. That happened in 1967. I grew up hearing people say, well, 1948 started the countdown. Well, I will say to you, 1948 had to happen before 67 could happen. But when you read about the prophecies, primarily they focus on Jerusalem itself. All these old prophets, and then Jesus hinged it on Jerusalem. He said, when the Gentiles are no longer controlling Jerusalem, but it goes back under the control of the Jews. Know that this generation is not going to pass. So I believe that's when the countdown started. We started the end of time in 1967. And if you'll go do study and if you'll be honest, uh, you'll see how the earthquakes started taking off after that. The Bible says there'll be many earthqu be earthquakes in diverse places. We have earthquakes everywhere anymore. We had one out here in Bergen a few weeks ago, Right? I said, you guys better get right out there. <laughs> we've, we've had them everywhere, right? We had one, one in, Chicago, uh, in Illinois just a few years ago, and they concerned everybody because if, they, if, if Lake Michigan broke loose, it would be bad. And it's probably, it's probably going to break loose eventually during the, when the earthquakes really start coming in the tribulation period. So all these signs really, what I want to say to you, all these signs really started increasing after 1967. You can, you can see old earthquakes in the 1800s, but not as many and not spread out. But when 1967 happened, you start watching what happens with the earthquakes in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and even in our day. Because it's intensifying. We're getting close. Paul said those are birth pangs, right? He said even nature itself is groaning for redemption. Even nature hates what sin has done to it. And we know God has a relationship with nature, right? Jesus cursed that fig tree. It should have had some figs on it because the one that created it was standing there. It should have had some figs on it. And you don't ride a donkey that nobody's never ridden unless you're the one that made the donkey. Don't think for a minute that donkey didn't know who was sitting on him. That fish knew who was in charge. That's why he didn't eat Jonah. He just took him on a cab ride and spit him out where God wanted him. That it just so happened, didn't it, that they threw Jonah off at the right time, right? It just so happened. I, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. We always call it a whale. I, I'm from Kentucky. I say it's a big, giant catfish, right? Whatever. Who knows? But it was a big fish, and instead of eating Jonah or drowning Jonah, how does that happen? That fish didn't just happen to swim by there. That fish was instructed by God to, dry, to float or swim through there or whatever. And he swallowed Jonah and took him exactly where God wanted him. God's in charge of creation, and creation knows who God is. What's sad is half the humans don't know who God is. And notice here what he's going to say. He says, am I running out of time? I am. He says, after this other beast come up, they exercise all the authority of the first beast in his presence, right? So this is kind of like the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the... He has all the power that Jesus does, and Jesus has all the power that the Father has. They're, they're, they're a trinity. 
And he caused the earth and those who dwell on earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. See, that keeps getting restated. That's what the world just said, hey, he's got to be the man. I mean, he's the one. He performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of men. Just like happened in Egypt. I've told you this before. If you're an Orthodox Jew and you believe in the Torah and the Old Testament, especially the Torah, you understand that what happened in Egypt is, is a picture of the end of time. It said, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of, to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. How many times are they going to say that? That's his claim to fame. It's like a mock resurrection if you'll have it. He is, he's, now the world's going to flock to him. And, you, and, and if you think in the natural, the natural man does not receive the things of God. That's what Paul said. It's the spiritual man that does. You've got to understand that they were in this position to follow this guy, this antichrist, this dragon, this second beast, because they did not love truth. They put themselves there. Now, that's one thing that I'm not going to, I don't do. God's not at fault. Whenever you hear a voice trying to get you to put God in the blame circle, you better kick that voice out. God is never at fault. There are no problems up yonder. They're down here. We cause them, we bring them on ourselves, or we're just caught in the crossfire. Some of all that probably in our lives. But God is not at fault. Now, I've said this before. God is not, he's big enough for you to ask him questions. But he's, you can ask him questions if you're seeking understanding. God's big enough to handle that. He's your father. He's my father. But if you're asking God, if you're asking God a question as to indict him, you better fall on your face and repent right now. You, are, you and I are not qualified to indict God as if to say, what do you think you're doing? You can ask him for answers. He's, he may not give them to you. But you can ask him. He's big enough to, the Bible says, if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open, right? If we ask, we'll receive. But if you treat God in such a way that you're trying to indict him like he's in the wrong or he don't know what he's doing, you better stay out of that. You better repent as fast as you can. Then he says, he says, they keep magnifying, right? Him overcoming like a resurrection. He was, uh, they made this image so we're going back to like Nebuchadnezzar type stuff. All that's pictures, right, of what's to come. He was granted power to give breath to that image in verse 15 and the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So now you're getting in a situation where basically the dragon and these two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet, have taken over the earth's system and God has allowed it. Because people did not love the truth. Now, I want to say this because I know a lot of people will hear my voice because of our media. You need to get along with God and get in His Word and forget religions and start finding out what God says in this book right here. I had to do that. We all grow up with a slant. And we all grow up experts, right, in religion. You need to draw. I had to do that before I got in the ministry. When I got called to preach, 
Well, after I accepted the call, I run for a couple of years, but when I accepted the call, I just got God's Word, and I started outlining this. I outlined this Bible three times with notebooks. I wanted, I, I love my parents. I love my grandmother and grandparents, grandfathers. I didn't care, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to know what God said. And I didn't want a Baptist slant. I didn't want a Pentecostal slant. I didn't want a Methodist slant. I wanted a God slant. That's what I wanted. I want to know what God teaches. And if you'll be honest, whatever slant you come from, they probably had some stuff right, but they had some stuff wrong too. How many of you grew up like I did hearing stuff that they said was in the Bible and you got to looking and it wasn't in there? Yeah, right? So get rid of your slants, get along with God, and find out what He says in His Word. That's who He is. The Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. They will be the same. So if you hear a voice or voices, whether it's somebody or just something you think you hear in the realm, if whatever you hear don't line up with this, it ain't God. It ain't God. There's some crazy people out there too. And there's some demons out there that influence crazy people. So you need to have this as your standard. And if it don't line up with, with the Word of God, you don't need to receive it. He says, and then he says, here's what we've all, you know, heard about for years. He calls, if they don't worship, they'll be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor friends, slave to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads that no one may buy or sell. No one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it looks like there's going to be uh, identification, right? And we're so close to that, aren't we? I mean, we're so close to being identified internally, right? We, you can already basically live your world with that little device you have in your pocket. I reckon, I don't do this. I'm still old-fashioned. Don't come in my backyard because I got jars out there buried. I'm teasing. <laughs> I still write checks. <laughs> but, uh, you can live your whole life, right? You can pay, they say you can pay with stuff with your phone and everything, right? I mean, and now we've got, I read about a company in Wisconsin that's put chips in their employees' hands where they can just scan themselves into the place to work. They can go to the cafeteria and scan it and scan their meal or whatever. We're so close to being identified internally than, than control, right? Every, <clears throat> now this is not a political statement, but it's just a true statement. Every liberty, the more access people get to us, the more liberties we lose. And so, the devil, but it has to happen, right? It has to happen because that's part of the plan. The Antichrist is going, the devil's going to take over the world. He's going to force people into this identification system. So let me, let's just talk about this before I close. Let me read the rest of this chapter. It says they're gonna, they won't be able to buy or sell the name, the mark, or the number. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of a man. His number is 666. We may deal with that again next week, but everybody's heard about 
the mark of the beast, right? The Antichrist. Imagine you get left behind, you don't go in, in the rapture, what we call the rapture, the catching away is how the Greek says it, being called up to be with the Lord, as Paul puts it. Let's say you get left here, and let's say you're 26 years old, and let's say you grew up in church or around, or around church, and you had a good grandfather or grandmother or mom and dad or whatever, and they tried to lead you to Christ, but you just kept playing your own game. Let's say you get left behind and let's say you're married and some point in the tribulation period you have a baby in the first couple of years of the tribulation period. Then in the middle of the tribulation period all this stuff starts going on. And you go to the doctor and you say, my baby's got RSV and it's going to die unless we get some medication or get in the hospital. And the doctor says, show us your mark. And in the back of your mind, your grandpa said, don't you take the mark. You'll be doomed if you do. Now what? Go to the grocery store. Can't get any food or any baby formula because you don't have the mark. No. Hey, that's why today's the day of salvation. What are you going to do? Simple. Right? We're all sober tonight, right? Simple. Simple choice, man. We ain't going to hell for nobody. You got a baby suffocating right in front of you? That's reality. What are you going to do when they say you can't have any food and you know you can't take the mark or you're doomed? You got to make a decision. And then they realize you don't have the mark and then they start hunting down the people who aren't loyal. You got today's the day of salvation. Now I thank God for the people that are going to get saved during the tribulation period, but today's when you need to be saved. Today, Father, we thank you for your love and mercy, and we we're desperate for your presence. I want to be like Moses, Lord. If you don't go, we don't go. We sit tight until you move. When you move we move. When you stop, when the cloud stops, we stop. Lord, we need your help. We need to be effective witnesses. We know you left us this, especially us Christians, so we would know how serious it's going to get and how much is at stake. Let that do something inside of us to cause us to be better witnesses, more equipped, more passionate, more compassionate, to give out empathy, to see the need the reach of the lost, Lord. They're dying around us. Help us not to be caught up in our own stuff. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins of omission, for being lazy, and for caring more about our stuff than your stuff. May you correct that in us, Lord, in the body of Christ. Correct that in the body of Christ. We don't have to be afraid, but we need to be strong and committed, and speak out. Speak your love and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.